0: Well, last week we looked at, we began with a book. We began with Fifty Shades of Grey and we looked at that book and we looked at some contemporary songs and we saw that those songs uh, represent, and that book represents how the world approaches sex. They're confused, they're misguided, and so we need to refocus. We need to rethink marriage from the scriptural perspective. And so today, over the next few weeks, I'm going to take us away from smut literature, but I thought the uh, the idea came to me this week, I'm just going to... Craft this whole series and every single title of every single sermon, it just so fits uh, with good books. And so the series we've titled Sex and Romance to the Glory of God, I actually got that from a book by C.J. Mahaney. You'll see the cover up there, Sex and Romance uh, to the Glory of God. You'll see that up there. It's a picture. There you go. And uh, I lent that book out to somebody. So if you have it, please return it. And uh, then there's this one. We don't have a picture for it because I got it here. The ones that I don't have, I put a picture of up there. But this one is a great one. It's called A Celebration of Sex by Dr. Douglas Rosno. And it is uh, the premier guide. He doesn't hold anything back. I was told when we were going through premarital counseling, I could read this like two nights before we got married and no sooner because he doesn't uh, He kind of takes Song of Solomon, breaks it down and talks about all the ideas of sex. And then last week, Uh, The Song of Solomon, I'm just going to title that The Book of Romance uh, by Tom Nelson. That is the guy that I uh, studied under for several years. And he's the one that uh, when I originally heard The Song of Solomon taught, he was the one that taught it. He's got a book out there called The Book of Romance. Uh, We've got some CDs here floating around. I would listen to those with your spouse. And today we're going to look at Intimacy Ignited. There should be a picture up there or I have it right here. This is a great book. It, is, uh, it says, Fire Up Your Sex Life with the Song of Solomon. And it's got an eight-week Bible study included. So I said, honey, we need to study this together. And those are the titles. Next week we'll have another book. And all these books, I chose these because all these books can help you. And if you're a single, uh, you can talk to me or one of the elders or someone here who's uh, married, and we can kind of guide you into which books to read now, which books to read later. Intimacy Ignited. That's by Jody and Linda Dillo, and as it says, Solomon jumps right in on this reflection. There's no wading into the pool, you know, wait till it gets a little warmer. Uh, he dives right in. He jumps right in. Uh, he strikes that match of passion, and he lights it up with love. And so what we're doing today is we're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about passion and purity, and it can happen. But the question I want to ask and answer today is, what is the basis and what are the boundaries for sex? We're going to look at Song of Solomon verse one, or chapter two, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse two through two seven. So we're going to look at about twenty three verses today. Um, this is, like I said before, a reflection on past conversations, past actions, etc. Uh, Solomon's looking back; he's reflecting on romance done right. Father, uh, I pray again for your grace in this because. This is a touchy subject. This is a subject that America does not do well on. And I pray that You would guide my words. In Jesus' name, Amen. What is the basis and what are the boundaries of passion? You'll see this text breaks down into three key parts. There is desire. Uh, there is delight. And there is delay. And as I showed you earlier, this is called intimacy ignited As we jump right in. Verse 2 of chapter 1. Let me kiss, Let him kiss me. With the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. She begins with kissing boys and alcohol. Those are two things I'm going to have to talk about. Get prepared for. Let me kiss. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Uh, this idea of kiss me with the kisses—it's kind of—it's uh, that onomatopoeia. Words that make the sound like bees buzz. It's kiss me. She could be saying smack me with smoochy lips. And when she's talking about a kiss, she's not talking about that political kiss. If you were to go to back to Psalm 2 where it says kiss the king, as in you are bowing to kiss his feet. It's not talking about what you see at the end of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and 1 Thessalonians is greet each other with a holy kiss. That is not this kind of kiss. This is a passionate, wet kiss. Let me just tell you about kissing. I should have a slide up there on kissing. Yes, there it is. A medical doctor explains, there is a physical reason our lips cry out to be kissed. The lips have a proportionally larger number of nerve endings than other parts of the body. One marriage counselor said, kissing is an indicator of the quality of a sexual relationship. When kissing is passionate, it is likely the couple has satisfying sexual relationship. Uh, here's a zinger from the woman, a woman in the oldest professional in the world. I tell my clients I will have sex with them, but I won't kiss them. Kissing is too intimate. And in an article from Health Magazine, you see the stats up there. Kissing relieves stress by releasing mood, elevating endorphins in the brain. It burns two calories per minute. How about that for exercise? So for one hour, that's 120 calories, babe. I'm here to help you out. It firms the muscles in your face. Swapping saliva with someone boosts your immune system, immune system by helping the body bolster its defenses. And it's fun. Here's what uh, some other poets have written about kissing. May I print a kiss on your lips, I said, and she nodded her full permission. So we went to press and I read her guess. We printed a full edition. A winning kiss she gave, a longing one, a free and yielding lip. Our spirits rushed together at the touching. Of our lips. Every kiss begins with K, but kissing you normally leads to something else. So be careful. For your love is better than wine. The first use of the word in this book of love is right here. Solomon in this section is going to give you three different terms for the word love. This first one is dode. And it doesn't mean sacrificial love. It doesn't mean friendship love. This means lovemaking. And I think the Net Bible gets it right. Where it says, For your lovemaking is more delightful than wine. And the idea here of love, you can see it, I give you some cross-references, is Ezekiel 16.8 16, where he says, You are of the age for love. And he's talking about sexual love. And this idea of your lovemaking is more delightful than wine. Wine is used one, two, three, four, five, six times. In this chapter. You can see it on the next time. Six times. And it is never used in a negative sense. And in the Bible, I give you three cross-references where you can see three times in the Bible, wine is a good thing. Psalm 104.15, that He gives wine as a part of His creation. Judges 9.13, uh, the grapes cry out, wine that gladdens the heart of God and men. And in John 2, our Savior turned water into wine. So this is not negative. This is not an abuse of two... Uh, Two individuals who are inebriated and then having sex. This is a woman who is looking at her lover and she says, Kiss me with the kisses of your lips for your lovemaking is more delightful than wine. And she goes on and says, Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, the virgins love you. You smell good, she says to her husband. Back then they used oil oils to mask odor. Every day I put on deodorant. Sometimes I put on a little love potion. Number nine. You spray it on when you go out on a date because it smells good. And here's what you do. Those of you that maybe need to learn this, you go with your spouse to Dillard's or wherever you go and you go to the cologne section and you say, here are your choices. Which one do you like? It doesn't matter what you think it smells like. It matters what she thinks it smells like. And I smell good. That's what she said when I put on our my special kind. Your name. What's more important than your smell is your name. Your reputation smells good. Name in the Bible is important on character. Proverbs 22, 1 I read this week. Better to have a good name than lots of money. Matthew 28, I baptize you in the Father, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are to pray in the name of Jesus, in the character of Jesus. Names are important. Therefore, the virgins love you. Others see and agree that your character is upright. Your character pours forth good fragrance. His inside matches his outside. If he smells good on the outside, he smells better on the outside. And then she says to him, draw me after you. Let us run. She's basically saying, I want you. She would be like grabbing his tie and she makes an offer. And then she holds off. And what does he do? It says, the king, notice it is past tense. The king has brought me into his chambers. This is a past tense action. It has happened. They're reflecting on it. They have had good quality sex. And she feels like royalty. And what do the others say? If you're following along in your Bible, if you're following along up here, uh, the pro-P doesn't put in the... Um, subtitles here, but if you're following along in your Bible, she says something and then there's these others. Who are these others? They could be the daughters of Jerusalem. We don't know for sure. I've read six different commentaries. Everybody's got their opinion on who the others are. But we know for certain one thing has changed. There's a change in grammar. Notice she says, let him for your draw me. And then it says, we we will exult and rejoice over you. We extol your love more than wine." We don't know for certain, but we know there's a change in grammar And it causes us to think, and if you follow and trace the others out throughout all the book of Song of Solomon, every single time they're mentioned, they're mentioned to affirm this couple's relationship and they're mentioned to transition the scene. And so here, she's saying, this is my man. Here's who he is. I want him. And he's brought me into his chamber. And the others are saying, yes, we agree with that. And so here's my summary of that first Part there, 2 through 4B. The woman wants the man. The man took care of himself physically, and more importantly, he took care of his personal reputation. And this relationship is affirmed by others. We live in a culture where there's a whole lot of independence in America. Uh, We don't think we need to bring other people in on our, our marriages, or that's kind of, you don't touch that area of my life. But that's not like other cultures. It's not like this culture. There were those around them that affirmed this relationship. What do others think of your marriage and family? And if you're here and you're single, before you ever get married, you take that person, you, you take them to your friends. What do your friends think? I remember calling my father-in-law and talking to him, uh, and and I was asking him about taking his his daughter's hand in marriage, and he's like, "Really? Because he had never thought about that." That was unique to him that I would actually say, you know what? Before I proceed any further, I I, I want to have your permission. And I assure you, having a daughter of my own, when whoever shows up, come on in. So and so, how are you? Do you have a Bible on you? Oh, you don't. Well, here's one. Do you know the theme of Habakkuk? Do you love Jesus? Do you have a good job? Because I want whoever I hand that woman off to, I I want to know who that is. Because the Lord has given her to us and it is our responsibility to make sure it's transitioned. So there's affirmation in this relationship. Uh, Women, uh, draw me after you. Let us run. Uh, You can be assertive. You have that freedom within marriage. As it says in Intimacy Ignited, you have permission for passion. I'll just say it like that. In that book I showed you earlier, Specs and Romance to the Glory of God, it's written by C.J. Mahaney. The very last chapter is written by his wife, Carolyn Mahaney. And she has a chapter on women. It's okay to be assertive Because you've been taught wrong by all the movies. You've been taught wrong uh, that you've got to withhold... Or you've got to be this promiscuous woman. No, within the confines of marriage, you see a woman being assertive, and we're just getting started. Men, take care of yourself. Physically, but more most important, take care of your reputation. And it comes to my to my last thing I want to say here, and there should be a handout of this. It is never I, I remember being taught this. It is never chemistry or character. Never. It is chemistry and character. There should be a slide for that. It's not chemistry or character, it's chemistry and character, and I would take it a little farther that it's chemistry or excuse me, character above chemistry. Well, that may be at the end, Jason. Don't worry about it. And so you come to this weird phrase right there at the end of chapter or verse four. We exalt in you and rejoice in you. We extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. There's another change of, of grammar there, and so We don't know if this is the others still talking or if this is the woman affirming what the women are saying. I think that's what it is. I think this is the woman affirming to Solomon uh, what the women are saying. And then she has a conversation with the daughters of Jerusalem starting in verse 5. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now these are the either the virgins or the social elite. And she says... Like the tents of Kadar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not not gaze at me. I am dark, but the sun has looked upon me. My My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me a keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. And the reason she's dark is she had to go out and she had to work the field. And it's interesting, back in that day, you didn't want to have the golden tan. This is the day we live in. Everybody wants to have a good tan. Planet Tan would not have survived in that culture. They they wanted to keep the skin uh, white and and not bronzed. And her initial thought here, notice she says, "My mother's son. There's no mention of her father. Her brothers were there to help the family, and you'll see at the end of this book that her brothers were doing right. And I think she misinterpreted what they were doing. They were protecting her. You can read that in chapter 8. But in so doing, she got so caught up in submitting to her brothers. Her father's not on the scene. That should be a, a guide to the ladies in here who might not have a father um, in their life who's worthy of uh, handing them off. There are others that can gather around you, both your physical brothers and spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. And in so doing, she doesn't take care of herself. My own vineyard. And you get a kind of you get a kind of a taste here. She's starting to mix metaphors, and this is okay. The whole Bible is full of mixed metaphors. And so she says, "I had to take care of the literal vineyard, but I didn't take care of my own vineyard." And so she's sowing some uncertainties and some insecurities, and it's all mixed with this understanding of self. And I'm doing a I'm going to do a cardinal sin in preaching. I'm gonna abruptly stop my sermon and I'm gonna show a video because I think every single woman in here needs to see this video. I think it will encourage you. This is not done by any Christian organization, but there's Christian principles all over. Let's watch. I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, Hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? Kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today, I'm going to ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. She, she had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So, here we are. And this. is the sketch that you helped me create and that's a sketch that somebody described of you. Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right, and we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like. My sweet bride painted a picture of Psalm 139, 13 and 14, put it up on the wall, because we wanted our little girl to know she is fearfully and wonderfully made from the beginning. Because this world lies. It lies. It lies on TV. It lies on the radio. It lies when you go to the mall. It tells you you have to look a certain way, and that's just not. So I have a self-image. And I use the word self-image because the Bible uses the word image. And I think you should should too. Your your core self-image is that you are created in the image of God. Therefore, every single person, man or woman in this room, you are beautiful because you are created in the image of God. And if you are a Christian, you are being conformed to the image of His Son. And So you, you should... Uh, take, she rightly recognized she hadn't taken care of herself, and we should take care of our bodies because First Corinthians six says our bodies are the temple of the Lord. We shouldn't. Uh, some women neglect it. He shouldn't care. And they just let themselves go. Men are visual. Um, it shouldn't be an obsession. If I look this way, then I'll gain this man. That's over the top. But a healthy understanding of appearance. Here's what I wrote: Do your best with what God has given you, and be content with what you have. You are, as the commercial said, more beautiful. And you think, and if there's a, I'm just on this theme of books lately. If you were wrestling with that, this next slide should show you. Um, there is a book written by Carolyn Mahaney, who wrote the end of that one uh, book. It's called True Beauty. Her and her daughter who wrote it together, and just dis- dispel with the lies that sometimes we can believe. Men, women are verbal. Women are verbal. Fifty three percent is communicating. You could just hear it all over this. Let us not. Uh, be flattering, but let us make substantial statements about true futures. Watch what he's getting ready to do. Women, men are visual, verbal, visual. That's that's, and, and this is not like a solid for every single person. I know there are exceptions, but granted, generally speaking, men are visual, women are verbal. Uh, to deny that is you're denying God's design, and to reject it, you're rejecting God's good creation. And so what you're seeing is this desire. And now in seven we see this first conversation. Tell me, you who my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock? Where you where you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who bails herself besides the flocks of your companions? Now many believe this is her in a little playful rendezvous, a midday rendezvous. Where where are you working today? Hey, where can I meet you? And let's be discreet about it because I don't want to go around searching for you like those women of the night. That's what's going on here. And so what does he say to her? If you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats besides the shepherd's tents. Basically saying, meet me here. And notice what he says here. I want to camp on this. If you do not know, Oh, most beautiful among women. Gentlemen, I'm going to say something here today you may have never heard before. But it will change the way you approach your spouse. Your wife is your standard of beauty. I'll repeat that again. Your wife is your standard of beauty. That is, as God saw fit when He was bringing you two together, this is your standard of beauty. You don't need to look anywhere else and be captivated by anything else. You look at your wife as Solomon looked at the, the, his dove here, his love, and he says, you are the most beautiful among them. And he says, right here, If you don't know, most beautiful among women, follow the tract. And then he says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. I compare you to a horse. Now, the first next slide shows you the, first, the second use of the word love here. If the first one was Dod, this is Ra, this is friendship. I compare you, my friend. The New American says, my darling. Isn't there a country song? Darling. I compare you, my darling. Not only is there this, this uh, passionate, love-making dode in the Hebrew, there is this Raha, this friendship. I compare you to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. You see the next slide. He's probably thinking of First Kings 10:26, where he has all these horses. And he says you're more valuable than any other horse. He's basically saying you're one in a million. So if you're going to call your wife a horse, you've got to quickly follow it up. Meaning... You're one in a million. Some commentators, this is how corny this is. Some have said, well, she had haunches suitable for childbearing. Come on. Come on. And then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with the string of Jewels he goes on and, he said, and the others say, and they again, they affirm this, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. So here he compares her to a horse. He says you're one in a million. If you've ever stood by a horse, uh, there's this hidden power that's kind of unsettling. I think that's what Psalm means. It's like when I get around you, I just feel different. And notice, he says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with a string of jewels, and they affirm that. It's okay to, to put on you can afford it. Jewelry is okay. I know there's some Christian churches out there don't don't wear makeup. Don't wear jewelry. They take this... You've got to just look natural. No. Put on a little makeup. That's good. He puts on cologne. You put on makeup. She's wearing a ring today. We were talking about this this morning. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of money, so I can't be getting a whole lot of jewels, but I came into some jewels and we had them set in a little ring and she thought she would wear it today. It's good. It flatters you. You make that ring look good. Huh? Huh? You like that? Don't call your wife a horse. And and, and, and horses then were modes of transportation. I would even refrain from calling it. Say, baby, you're you're as sleek as a 300Z. Probably wouldn't go there. Now, if she's into NASCAR, it's a whole different thing. But not going to work with my wife. You, you can say, you make that dress look good. And so we've moved from the nighttime chambers to a noontime secret place, and now we're going to go to mealtime. Passion is an all-day process. Verse 12, while the king was on his couch, that's probably around the table, the dinner table there, my nard gave forth its fragrance. She too had her own love potion, number nine. She smelled good. And she then speaks and says, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. She's thinking about this guy. She's, she's wanted him. He's brought her into her chambers. She sought after him. Here they are having dinner. Like last night, I went out to dinner. Took my wife to a nice dinner. Just looking into her eyes. I did not have her quote about sachets and myrrh. It's just different culture. But here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean it's the kind of glory and on the, this is the pure milk of the Word and this is the Old Testament and the New Testament. That just, that's just not true. She's saying that this myrrh lies between her breasts and gives off this fragrance. She says, You're like fragrance to me. I want to spend the night with you. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. And so she's just over the top in her communication to this man. She says, Fragrant scents help. This place called Engeeti. It's a it's a place. If you were to look at it on a map, it is a place of uh, relatively posh um, bushes and vineyards in this arid climate. People long to be there. David longed to be in Engeeti. It says he went there to Engeeti and he refreshed himself. And so he says, "You are this place for me." And he could easily say that of her. And so this Engeeti is a place. It's a perspective. It's It's ladies. When your husband comes home from work, give him about 20 minutes. Have a plate of nachos sitting there, and just say, "I know you were in the workforce all day. Just eat these nachos for 15 minutes, and then we can talk." And trust me, when he gets some nachos in him, then then it's hey, can you do the laundry? No problem. How do you you, want you want the you want hospital corners on those sheets? I mean, what do you what do you want? Right? And Getty and husband. It's not just kids down. Uh, let's go at it and run to the bed. Uh, throw rose petals down. Uh, let her... You say, say. here's what I'm going to do. Sometime. or Maybe I've done this. <laughs> you got to be careful here. I'll put the kids down. You go take a bath. She opens the door and there's these rose petals and then there's candles lit. It's in Getty. The bed is made. The lights are dim. There's not... Towels of laundry here. I don't have my stacks of commentaries. I, during Song of Solomon, you can like right on her bedside. No, we're studying Song of Solomon. No, you don't do that. You put the things away. You make it a place where she walks into this room. She's like, oh, and wine is good. If they enjoy wine, give her a glass of wine. Let her chill. Make it an inggetti. Tub talk, flower petals, scents are good. Listen to this quote by Doctor Hirsch before you poo-poo the importance of scent. Read what Dr. Alan Hirsch, the Neurological Director of Smell and Taste Treatment and Research Foundation, has to say about our sense of smell. The quickest way to induce a change in emotions or mood is through smell, because the sense of smell reacts more quickly on the brain than other senses. He reports that the top odor for men, uh, for the mood of love, is a combination of pumpkin pie and lavender. That's just what he says. So, You're going to go to City Market and all the pumpkin pie and lavender candles are gone this afternoon. Yeah. Sense is good. Use sense. They were getting kind of cheesy in the book, but it was funny. It makes sense to use sense. It's good. What does he say when she says this? I love this. They're having a little tennis match back and forth. Behold, you are beautiful, my love, my darling. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are dove's. Men, tell your wives they're beautiful over and over again. You don't do what that one guy did. You know, that guy He the baby. She comes in weeping. You never tell me I'm beautiful. He said, I told you you're beautiful on our wedding day. Nothing's changed. You don't do that over and over again. You tell her she's beautiful. And notice where he's looking. Notice where he's looking. How did he know her eyes were like doves? Peaceful. Because he's looking in her eye. It's Listen to me with your eyes. Last night, walking to a restaurant, flat screen, professional game on there. What do I do? Swing around. I sit here so she can watch the game. No, just kidding. She doesn't watch sports. But you don't want to... Oh, baby, you're so beautiful. No, you don't. Look her in the eye. Behold... You are beautiful. She goes right back, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters are pine. There's some discussion here of where they're at. Some think this is just she's using the rafter house language to to talk about they're out somewhere in the woods. I, I'm not buying it based upon the fact they've been talking and they're near a couch. I think this is like First Kings 7. This is how he built his house out of these cedars and these rafters from Lebanon. And notice here. The reason I think that is your you're Doesn't have to be uh, Mexico, Fiji, uh, Honduras. Those are great places. But I hope to go there soon with my wife alone. <laughs> but you can do in at your house. You can do in And notice what she says about our house, beloved. Behold, you're beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house. They have come together as one. There's no separate checking accounts. It's our house. Again, I think this is a reflection. on a, they, They've been married. We'll see that here in a couple of weeks. And then she kind of dips back into this. I'm the Rose of Sharon. a Lily of the Valleys. And if you read that, you think, oh, that's nice. But you do the work on it and it shows you she thinks, I'm just, yeah, I'm pretty, but I'm just one among the pretty girls. And look what he says. Oh, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among young women. His husband is attentive that his wife needs some verbal encouragement with her looks, and he says, "You're better than any other." Proverbs thirty-one twenty-nine. I quote it often to my wife. It's not up there, but I say this: thirty-one twenty-nine. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. There are a lot of women who have done great, but you surpass them all. And so he picks up on it. And as I've said before, I'll say it again. Gentlemen, your standard of beauty is not some airbrushed Victoria's Secrets model. Your standard of beauty is your wife. She doesn't even compare. That's what he said. And so. With the little talk, little tennis match back and forth of this talk, it always leads somewhere. As an apple among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men with great delight. I sat in His shadow and His fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to His banqueting house and His banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples. I am sick with love his left hand is under my head and His right hand embraces me. What's going on there? So she responds to Him. He responds to her. And she responds to Him. And this, this kissing and talking goes down. They move from the couch probably into the bedroom. and We find our third use of the word love here. In 1-2, it is dode, your love making. In 1-9, it is love. It's ra'ah, it's friendship. And here, your banner over me is love. It is it is a lover. We've seen a lover. We've seen a friend. And this is the sacrificial love. This is the equivalent to the uh, Greek word agape. It's uh, Even in Hebrews, it's ahava. And I, I remember when I went on a, to a pastor's conference, We're sitting there in the pastor's conference. We're getting fed. And the guys are like, don't forget your wife. And I'm like, good idea. And they're like, we've got some lotions out there. And it's called Ahav. And I'm like, I'm just taking Hebrew. I'm like, oh, love. Love for my love. I often do that. Ahav the love for you. And she laughs at me. misquoting the Hebrew. The point is, you see all these different kinds of loves wrapped up into this intimacy of this couple. He brought me to His banqueting house and His banner. A banner is what you fly out in front of your house. You see it on the 4th of July. We fly the flag. You see some guys, they have the Broncos banner over there. They don't even just hang the banner. They paint their garage on that. With that sign. the banner is what you hold up. In Numbers, it's what it said. This is what identified this tribe. And so she's saying, what identifies me to the world and him to the world is His love over me, everybody has a banner. What are you showing the world to your wife? I, one of the greatest compliments I got from somebody in this church, uh, we were going through some things and he goes, you know what, Dad? He said, I, I'm I'm really struggling with where the, some are thinking this about you. He said, you know why I say that? I said, why do you say that? He says, because I, I look at your wife and I look at your kids. I say, praise the Lord. It doesn't mean I'm perfect by any means, but what it does mean is By God's grace and for His glory, um, I can say without any um, hesitancy that what goes on in our house, there's no dichotomy when it comes to the pulpit. And if you've seen me be rude and obnoxious and angry, trust me, I can be that way at home as well. But for the most part, what you're seeing is hang a banner of love out there for the world to see so everybody can tell you love that woman. And when you do that, she wants to give herself completely to this man. She is what she calls lovesick, and you can be the doctor. She says, "His great, his great delight. I sat in his shadow. His fruit is sweet to my taste." There's a lot of discussion on what that means. Let me just say it to you like this, and be just as discreet as Solomon. Fruit in this book is not talking about. Um, a fruit bowl on the countertop for you to have with your eggs and bacon for breakfast. Okay? It's talking about body parts. And I say this with caution, but it means what it says it means. Every uh, commentator... Um, not every. Thank you for um, Linda Dillo and Jody Dillo, who do not um, mince words here. He says in this, and I will talk to you about it. All the commentators want to jump and go, well, that just can't mean what it means. It, it means what it means. When she says his fruit is good to her taste, they're talking about oral sex. I'll just say it. That's what they're talking about. And the reason I'm going to talk about it is because the stats show that young kids age 15 to 19 are already talking about it. And I got this from a non-Christian. These were. This is from an organization we would be against when it comes to abortion, but I have to agree when they talk about the facts about oral sex and STDs. Who's doing it? 55% aged 15 to 19 have participated in it. And they give you the quotes of where they're getting their stats. And Here's a great quote that comes from an abortion clinic of all places. See, they're talking about it. We're afraid to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it while we're in here. Because you need to hear it from someone who loves you and someone you can trust. There's a common growing idea that unless a couple has vaginal penile sex, that isn't really sex. Almost any dictionary will define sexual intercourse as vaginal penile, as well as intercourse involving genital contact between individuals other than penetration of the vagina by the penis. I just read it, now I'm putting it away. Now, point is, a lot of people are participating in this and they're thinking to themselves... This isn't sex. I haven't broken. It is sex. In the book on sex, it's described as sex. Period. In the story. Now we can move on. His left hand is under my hand. My head, his right hand embraces me. My friends, that is not courtship. In a handshake. So men, pay attention. Become masters of communication. I mean, there is power in your praise. There is power. There is power in my praise to my wife. There is power in your praise to your wife. There is power in it. You can infuse her with life. Your wife is your standard of beauty. Keep those comments coming. Make them specific. You see how specific. Your eyes are like doves. Your cheeks. He is very specific. Women. Acknowledge to the man that you've you appreciate the provision and protection he provides. Acknowledge that he he works in a world that is just dirty and polluted, and they, and they don't. Sometimes people just don't like him, and when he comes home, he, he needs to hear from you. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for providing for me, for protecting me. I I provide for my wife financially, and I protect her. One of the things, if you ever see us running, and I'm not running next to the road, you have the right to honk and rebuke. You should be protecting her. I remember we started running, and she kind of moved me over. I'm like, what are you doing? You're like, that's the road. If a car comes, you take the first hit. Oh, makes sense. Right? You protect in all these ways. You provide. You show the world your banner is love. We go on a date last night. She walks up to the door, and she doesn't stand like this. She just politely stands. This man must, I am the queen, he must open the door. That is what you do. Gentlemen, young gentlemen, that is what you do. You open the door. You provide, you protect, you make this person that you are married to feel on top of the world. All of us, let's educate our kids. Let's speak freely and frankly and frequently. I think the age, a good age, is ten. So I've got until June, okay? So I've got five months. I've got five months not to say anything. But come June 11th, you can ask me, are you talking frequently, frankly, and appropriately about that with your daughter? Because she's well, she's already started that. What, what does it mean, naked and unashamed? Here we go. I mean, we're not even two chapters into the Bible. But we should do it. Educate our kids. Otherwise, they're going to get an education. And, and here it is. Enjoy each other in the covenant of marriage. Marriage, serve and surprise and joy. You, there is much freedom. But it ends, it ends with a delay. If, if one, two through one, two, if one chapter one, verse two through six is the desire, and one seven through two six is the delight, the sexual delight within marriage, there is this delay. Verse seven I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles with a doze in the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So there's a time and a place for the steamy scene and the playful teasing. It does not happen before you say I do. You may want to express it, Ruth did it to Boaz, but you've got to wait until Boaz goes to the city gates. And here's the question that always comes up. Common question, you should see it on the next slide. Here's the question, I did uh, singles ministry for seven years. Next slide there, Jason. Common question that always comes up when you talk about do not stir or awaken love until it pleases. Where's the line? Bad question. It's a bad question. It's a bad question. Mark Driscoll doesn't say where's the line, but he says when's the time. I I think this question's best. How much can you glorify God in that action you're wanting to do? How much can you glorify God? Well, can we can we kiss and pet? How much can you glorify God? Answer that question for me. And then there's that common question that I'm now getting as I oversaw some young marriage. Well, what? I mean, uh, we're married now. What's what's prohibited? What's free? For you, I have printed from that book, Intimacy Ignited, sexual acts that God prohibits. I put it discreetly on the back table over there so no little hands get on that and say, Mommy, what's this mean? So it's back there but when it comes to sexual, uh, relationships, when it comes to the single, I think it's best to go with Ephesians 5-3-NIV. There was a book written on it. But among you, there must not even be a hint. Not even a hint. Not even, not even a hint. There will be a time and place for it. There will be a time and place for it. When is that time? After you say, I do. How much can you glorify God? You honor that person that you are not married to as your brother and sister. And so I'll conclude with this. Backing away from this and looking at it as I fall off the stage. If you look at it you do an aerial view, you, you see a servant and a queen. You see a king and a shepherd. This message is for anyone, rich or poor, single or married, you see the singles in there. Daughters of Jerusalem, virgin, do not. Awaken love before it's time. So let me talk about desire, delight, delay. Number one on desire. Uh, when, it, when it comes to desire, desire is not demonic. To have desires are not demonic. Okay? We, we tend to, in a Christian church, we just don't want to talk about sex and we say, oh, just let's not even talk about desires. Desires are there. So you might as well talk about them. But let me encourage you with this if you're single. Urges are not ultimate. Urges, your sexual urges, are not ultimate. Uh, If you don't breathe, you're going to die. If you don't eat, you're going to starve. If you don't have sex, you're going to live. Urges are not ultimate. Go back one slide. Urges are not ultimate. Um, how do I know that? Because our Savior was celibate, and He died to redeem and make sexual relationship within marriage naked and unashamed. Number two, delight. Eros is ethical in the boundaries of marriage. That eros is that Greek word for that's kind of erotic. It's it's okay. We we get to sometimes we get in Christian marriage and it's. Partly because we haven't learned it and we've been taught the wrong thing. It's just to have any desire outside of mission position, that's just weird. That's just not true. I just said it. It's just not true. Within boundaries of marriage, it is okay. It's when it's outside the boundaries of marriage that it's evil. And I will call it what it is. Any form of sexual intimacy, penetration or no penetration, Outside the covenant of marriage is evil, it is wrong, and you shouldn't do it. And then there's the delay. Though desires are not demonstrated. Not did not enter into marriage a virgin. And I share that with you publicly. My wife and I have talked about it. That's just that's it is what it is. I remember we were in IHOP. Is that where it was? was an IHOP. This was that conversation that we had. I went to an IHOP. Got her all sugared up on pancakes and hot coffee. (laughs) No, I said, uh, I said, I got to tell you this. I said, you know, I. Tom Nelson, who wrote the book of romance, told me. After however many times you go out with this young woman, you go and you tell her just who you are and everything, and you lay it out there appropriately, and you say, "This is who I am. This, if we were to go down this line, you were to marry me. This is who you. Uh, this is who you're getting. And if you, that is not something, I praise the Lord. We'll go our separate ways. Hi, hot. This is who I am." But she's a woman of grace. She understands the gospel. But though those were sinful, evil acts, Jesus Christ died to redeem those. And so you can proceed, as Elizabeth Elliot said, with passion and purity. Like I said earlier, it's not chemistry or character. It's chemistry and character. But it's definitely character over chemistry. And I'll conclude with this. If there's one body part that jumps out to me in this section, it's the mouth. It's the mouth. The next slide should show you there's majesty in our mouths. It is used to communicate, to talk specifically and frankly about your relationship. There's that surface talk, just the exchange of info. There's that social talk, kind of the exchange of ideas. And then there's substantial talk. It's the exchange of issues. So I asked you this question, married couples, Do you love your spouse? Do you I know most of the time we talk about love and that's good in the Christian Church, we talk about commitment. And I think I could say everybody in here is committed to their spouse, but do you is that your best friend? Is that your companion? Do you talk to your spouse? And and then do you caress and and do you love your spouse? Talk about those deep issues. And there's room for playful teasing and talk. You saw that in, in the passage. And with your kids, don't just have the talk, have lots of talks. I love that. I learned that this week. You don't just have the talk like one time, like you say it once. Well, you have the talk. You have lots of talks, specifically, frequently, every time they ask. Be willing to talk about it. But not only is the mouth there to communicate, but the mouth is there to kiss. There's wisdom in that little jingle, right? K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby, and the baby carriage. I like that. Love this person, commit to this person, and then we can kiss, because kissing can lead to other things. The mouth, in my opinion, in this section, is a match. And so, for some of you, you need to light the fire again. You just need to, some of you just need to light the fire, light the fire again. Some of you need to stoke the fire. You know, it's lit, it's going. You just need to, maybe you need to get intimacy ignited and read it with your wife. And for some of you, you need to put a, a protection around the fire because there's caution. Every kiss begins with K, right? But physical things happen when we kiss. Father. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for what you teach us about sex and relationships. Thank you that you show us that our wives are our standard of beauty. I know every husband in here can look at his wife. A woman who's married him, serves him, has his best in mind to see her as the most beautiful person in the world. And I know the wives can look at their husband. Working hard to provide, to protect, to care for. Father, I pray if there's... I know, uh, Lord, not all marriages are perfect. No marriages are perfect. And I know some need more work than others. So I just pray a special prayer for those marriages out there that need you to do a solid work in both the heart of the wife and the heart of the husband. Father, would you go and do a work in all our marriages? Would you strengthen them so that the bond of our marriage would be so strong they would not break? Would you restore the ones that need to be restored? Would you ignite the ones that need to be ignited? I pray for my young single brothers and sisters. God, give them the courage and the character To wait. Lord, their desires are good. They're right. They're given by You. I pray that they would just wait. I pray that You would bring them a mate. I pray that from them would come the next generation. And now, Lord, as we take communion, uh, might we uh, just remember the greatest love of You for us. Sending Your own Son to die in our place. pray these things in His name. Amen. Was meant when with communion would come forward. I wanted to do something a little different. Um, that song we sang before the throne of God above, if you could put up the words there, I'm going to walk us through that song. Not right now, but after the elements are held, handed out, I just want to show you the beauty of modern hymns.